Uh, the truth is, we're, we're not exactly sure how long this season of isolation is going to last, but we do know that at some point it is going to come to an end, right? We, we, we think, just kidding, it, it definitely is going to come to an end, and, and if these stories like Christine's this week, like Anthony's last week, like Shallon's a couple of weeks ago have been stirring something up inside of you, and, and you're watching right now, and you have never went public with your faith through baptism, which is all baptism is, it is going public with our faith, we, we would highly, highly, highly encourage you to take that step. Our, our hope is, is that after we get to, again, meet in person pretty quickly after that, uh, we're going to have another one of these baptism services, and so if you just have some questions about baptism, you're interested in perhaps taking that step, we would encourage you to just text the word baptism to 810-510-0298. And I actually personally will be in touch with you sometime this week to talk through all that, talk through next steps, and maybe answer any questions that you might have. Uh, Additionally, before I really get into the meat of what I'm going to be talking about today, I wanted to make sure that you heard this from my lips right here on the front end. Uh, we know right now that, that, that a lot of you, you are facing very real concerns that, that come along with suddenly not being able to work or being isolated in your home. And, and, and we as a church are here to serve you. And, and we really, really mean that with whatever needs you might have. It, it's as simple as just texting the word help to that same number, 810-510-0298. One of our team members will be in touch with you. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we have been privileged to help individuals and help families with, with rent assistance and utility assistance and mortgage assistance and grocery assistance and food delivery and diaper delivery. You name it, we've really done it over these last couple of weeks. And so please, I I promise you, this is not some pastor PR move to try and attempt to prove to all of you that we really are generous, but secretly I'm like, oh my gosh, please don't actually text us. No, we want you to text in. We really do want to help and we have the financial resources to do so. But please don't allow your pride or, or, or that feeling of, man, there, there's probably someone that, that has it worse than me to get in the way of you literally picking up your phone right now and shooting us a text. Again, one of our team members will be in touch with you this week. Uh, and even if you personally don't need help, but you know of someone who does, even if they've never been a part of Grumlaw, please pass that information along to us. Seriously, we talked about this last week. This is so, so important. When coronavirus just becomes a story we tell, what will people say about us? When coronavirus years down the road actually becomes something that we can laugh about, it becomes one of those topics where we're like, remember that time when we were literally locked up in our houses for like months at a time? That was crazy. When coronavirus just becomes a story we tell, what are people going to say about us? What are they going to say about you? What are they going to say about the local church? We, we, we hope that a lot of people, I hope that a lot of people are talking about how incredibly supportive how incredibly helpful, how incredibly outward focused this church was in the midst of an unprecedented crisis. So so again, send that text if you need help. I I am so thankful, I am so proud that I get to lead an organization, that I get to lead a church where we can even throw that ask out there and not cringe and and cower back in fear wondering, oh my gosh, are people actually gonna text in because of so many of you who continue to faithfully give. We're rather as a church, rather than bunkering down and and getting tight with our financial resources, we're actually instead ramping up our generosity efforts because that is exactly what the world needs right now. 
Before I dive into here again, what I'm going to talk about today, I'd love to pray for all of you who are tuning in here this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who is in control. Again, even in these times where things definitely feel a little bit out of control. We, we thank you for these opportunities that we have because of technology where we can still come together on Sunday mornings and, and learn more about you and hear from you. We thank you that you are a God that is present, that is actively pursuing every single person that, that is watching right now. You are a really, really good father, and I just pray that all of us would just be open to whatever it is that you want to say to us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, again, welcome. We're, we're so glad all of you decided to tune in. In particular, if this is your first time joining us, we are so thankful that you would decide to give us just about an hour of your week. Again, as was already mentioned, if you've never filled out one of those Connect cards, please tap Connect there in the upper right-hand corner and fill one of those things out. We really do give $5 to a local school. Uh, if you were not able to be with us last week online, we, we began a brand new series titled, He Did What? Where we're over these coming weeks, we're going to be looking at a handful of the miracles that Jesus performed during his relatively short amount of time on earth. And the reason that we're doing this series is because we are absolutely trusting that God is going to use this crisis that is happening in our world right now for good. And in fact, he already is. That, that, that he's going to continue to work countless miracles in the midst of what we're experiencing right now. I alluded to this last week. One very practical example would be all of the people that have reached out to me personally. I know that's only a handful of the people and have told me how excited they have been that their mom, that their dad, that their fiance, that their uncle, that their cousin, that their friend from college, you name it, that they actually tuned into church last week and they said that they were gonna tune in again. We are seeing all of these people who were previously so opposed to church, who had never walked through physical doors, they are finally giving church, they are finally giving Jesus a chance. We are literally right now seeing the message of Jesus get in front of more people than arguably ever before in the history of mankind. And that is no exaggeration. And again, if you're, you're just joining us today, you're just kind of checking things out because frankly, you didn't really have anything better to do. Again, thanks for giving us a shot. If you did miss part one of this series, I would encourage you to head over to grumlaw.com slash messages and catch yourself up there. Or you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever you happen to grab your podcast. Another cool trend that we've been seeing over these last couple of weeks is that a lot of you are jumping online uh, and you are listening to some of our previous series because again, we are like running out of things to do inside of our houses and we definitely love to see that. Uh, and today, as promised, we're gonna head into part two of this series called He Did What? Taking a look at some of the miracles from Jesus and we're actually gonna be staying right in the book of Mark. This is actually where we started last week and we looked at that first miracle of, of Jesus calming the storm. For those of you who were not here last week, let's just give you a little bit of context with the book of Mark. Mark is in the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, those are the first four books of the New Testament uh, that document the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, what's interesting about the book of Mark is this was actually the first one of those accounts that was written. And we know that John Mark, who is the author of this book, he got all of his information from a guy who went by the name of Peter. And Peter, that's significant because Peter was one of the 12 guys often referred to as the disciples. One of the 12 guys who spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus. And so Peter wasn't relaying this information secondhand. No, he lived it. 
He, he witnessed this stuff because he was a part of Jesus's life. But, but before we go there today, before we take a look at this, this other miracle that we're going to be taking a look at here this morning, uh, I want to ask you a question. And I, and I recognize by asking this question that I might be opening up a can of worms. And so please don't look to the person next to you. If that happens to be the person that I'm about to describe, don't shoot a text. Please don't comment about that person over there right now. Again, you never know who's tuning in. But here's a question I have for you this morning. Has, has a religious person ever rubbed you the wrong way? Now, now my guess is, is that most of you are either internally nodding or quite physically nodding your heads right now. And the truth is, I'm not really going out on much of a limb with that question, right? And, and that's not really even a fair question to religious people because all different types of people have rubbed us the wrong way, right? And I mean, cashiers at grocery stores have rubbed us the wrong way, but, but that doesn't mean that they're all bad people. All of us at one point in our lives have probably been the victim of a really terrible haircut, but that doesn't mean that all hairstylists are terrible people. So allow me to dig in a little bit more, allow me to pry perhaps a little bit more. Have you ever felt like a religious rule was placed on a higher pedestal than a you? Have you ever felt like a religious person cares more about a rule being followed than the human being that the rule is being imposed upon? Allow me to perhaps even make us a little bit more uncomfortable and turn this question even more towards Christians. Has a Christian ever made you think, if a Christian is supposed to be a representative of Jesus and that person is a Christian, then I'm not sure I'm real interested in Jesus. Like if that person is in some way a reflection of Jesus, then Jesus kind of seems like an arrogant, judgmental, self-righteous, pious jerk who doesn't really care all that much about people and he instead only cares about rule following. And, and, and I'm not sure that I'm interested in that. If any of those questions resonated with you, and I have a feeling that some of them did, uh, man, do I have some really, really great news for you this morning. And so what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to jump into another story, again, another miracle that we find in this book of Mark. This is a true story that involves a man with a crippled hand, some religious zealots, and Jesus. So giddy up. This is some exciting stuff here. We jump into Mark chapter 3. It says, Jesus went into the synagogue again, and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. For those of you that, that, that don't know, Jesus was a rabbi. Not going to assume that everybody understands what a rabbi is, but a rabbi was kind of this fancy way of saying that he was a Jewish teacher. And, and this was, in fact, one of the most common activities, one of the most common practices for these Jewish teachers, for these rabbis. Jesus would commonly head into these synagogues. If you don't know what a synagogue is, think like Jewish church building. And he would teach from the Jewish scriptures. This was actually, in fact, how Jesus gained a lot of notoriety because he taught with real authority, unlike a lot of these teachers of religious law who were kind of boring, who were kind of dry. People instead loved listening to Jesus because he was such a captivating communicator and he was so passionate about what he spoke about. And so like he often would, he's heading into the synagogue to teach, but it says here that he notices a man whose hand is crippled. A hand that is deformed. Now, 
Here's the story where the, the annoying religious people enter in. It continues. It says, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies, which are the religious folk, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Nice. Now, now, now a little bit of background here will kind of help this story come to life. First, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he had already done a fair share of rubbing the religious folk the wrong way. At this point in his ministry, the, the religious people had already pretty well made it up in their minds that they did not like Jesus. The, the, the religious people all these years ago had a way of imposing rules and imposing standards that were next to impossible for people to actually keep. Now, by the way, that should probably sound familiar because not a whole lot has changed here in modern day. Religious people are still doing the exact same thing. And Jesus, unlike virtually everyone else in this largely Jewish society, he was not very good about keeping his mouth shut about this. He refused to stand idly by, and in fact, he frequently called the religious people out on their self-righteousness. He frequently called them out on their impossible rules, that there was no way that you could actually keep up with them, that they weren't even keeping up with. It's also worth noting that back at this point in history, the religious elite were among the most respected and powerful people in all of society. And so standing up to them was a big, big deal. It would get you into a lot of trouble type deal. If this was something that you continued to do, it would perhaps lead to death type of deal. And normally what they would do, if you were a person that kept, up, kept on standing up to the religious elite, they'd, they'd punish you, they'd, they'd get you to shut up, and then they'd kind of go on with their holy art thou ways. But, but with Jesus, it wasn't that simple. Because people loved Jesus. So so if they did their kind of -of run-of-the-mill arrest and punish, that they were scared it literally might cause rioting, that they'd actually lose influence, that they would lose power, that they would lose respect among the Jewish people because they would have the audacity to punish Jesus, who at this point in Jesus's life, most people really liked him. And so what they would instead try to do, and this happened all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, you can go read this stuff for yourself, was that they would try to find these moments where Jesus was blatantly violating a Jewish law, and then they would pounce on him, and they kind of show the crowds, look at Jesus, he just broke a law that we're all supposed to follow. What a rebel Jesus is. Now, now within the Jewish Bible or the Jewish law or, or, or the law of Moses, there are 613 laws. It was certainly a lot to keep up with. And one of the most highly held laws is this keeping of the Sabbath or, or keep the Sabbath holy. In fact, it, it's actually one of the 10 commandments. So you had these 613 laws, but then there were certain 10 commandments, the 10 laws that were like really, really important. And keeping the Sabbath was among those really, really important laws. You definitely don't want to violate this one. The, the, the basic gist of the Sabbath is, is this. There should be one day every week where you don't work, Refresh your batteries and recenter your life on what is most important, namely God and family. Now, if you're anything like me and you kind of have this basic elementary understanding of the Sabbath, there's not really all here that's all that controversial, right? I mean, we, we don't really have time to completely unpack the Sabbath this morning. That'll certainly be another topic for another day. We'll definitely unpack that at some point. But, but the Sabbath is actually a really, really good thing 
It's something I would highly advocate for every single person that's tuning in right now. It's something that I fight for in my own life. The, the, the Sabbath in a day and age where we are constantly going 90 miles an hour and we always feel like we're one step behind. If you're anything like me, 15 steps behind. The Sabbath is an opportunity to reset, to recalibrate, to refresh, to, to deny yourself what the world has deemed acceptable and focus on that which your heavenly father says is best for you. It's like this weekly 24-hour reset button to better prepare you for the other six days of the week. And I guarantee there are some of you sitting on the other side of the screen right now that are sitting there going, that sounds really nice. And when you understand what the Sabbath was actually intended for, that there's not a lot there that most of us would call controversial or ill-spirited. God created the Sabbath for me. He created the Sabbath for all of you who are watching because he knows the pace that most of us are running at right now is completely unsustainable. So so per usual, God's just looking out for your best interest and he created a discipline to that end. But but, but thousands of years ago, the religious elite took what was pure. They they, they took what was meant for good and, and they perverted it. They used it as a way to leverage power over the Jewish people. They took this one simple law and they literally created hundreds of nuances that were impossible to keep that they themselves were not even keeping. So as mentioned, there was the Jewish law, the law of Moses, which had its 613 laws. But then what these religious elite did was they also created this thing called the oral law which as its name would suggest, it wasn't written down. It was something that was passed down from one religious leader to the next religious leader from generation to generation that was basically all these sub-laws built off the original law contained within the law of Moses, contained within the Jewish scriptures. And all of a sudden, you found yourself, these new rules being forced upon you that you didn't even know existed 30 seconds earlier. And, And this is precisely what they did with the Sabbath. They created all these other sub-laws that were impossible to keep and also followed no logical reasoning. I want to just give you one example of this. For instance, one of the oral laws that had been passed down from generation to generation was that you could take your animal on the Sabbath out to pasture for food and water, but also contained within the oral law was that you could not heal a person. So if you're tracking with me, the needs of animals were being placed ahead of human beings on the Sabbath. The the, the discipline that was created by God for human beings was now actually being leveraged against human beings. Now, as you can imagine, and if you know anything about Jesus, uh, this did not sit particularly well with him. So, So back to our story, let's look how Jesus reacted. He says, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Again, the religious leaders watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics, those religious elite, and he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But but they wouldn't answer him. 
Now, now the reason that Jesus is asking this question is because he knows exactly what these religious leaders are up to. You would have thought that this would have woken them up to who Jesus is, but, but, but their hearts were so hardened that they could not see what was happening right in front of them. In fact, this is actually a theme all throughout the life of Jesus, that, that Jesus would literally answer people's internal thoughts and their internal questions. I think it would have been incredibly intimidating hanging out around Jesus because basically everything circulating around in your brain was public knowledge to him. And, and, and what he's doing is he's taking the religious leaders back to their roots and, and he's asking them to wrestle with this question. What was the original purpose of the Sabbath? I mean, come on, you guys. You, you're, you're supposedly these really smart, these really theological people. Why did God create the Sabbath in the first place? He's openly challenging these religious frauds and he's calling them out for how they had mutilated and how they had perverted what was initially meant for good, what God created for good. And, and, and for people like me, and I think there's probably a lot of you out there who are like me, I, I love watching pious, judgmental people get backed into a corner. So this is so, so good. that they, they know exactly, these religious leaders, what Jesus is doing. They've been exposed. They're wrong and they know it. So how do they respond? Do they suddenly admit their wrongdoing? Do they admit the error of their ways? Do they go, oh, Jesus, we're so sorry. We had never really thought about it that way. You know, we'll fix all this. Not quite. Instead, they sit in silence. They behave as if they have not even heard Jesus. And again, if you're anything like me, you read this story and you think to yourself, what a bunch of cowards. But, but before we are too quick to judge them, let's, let's just be honest with ourselves. This is how most of us react in very similar situations. Because the truth is, nobody likes being exposed. Nobody likes being called out, particularly in public. So, so rather than admitting their guilt, Rather than admitting their wrongdoing, they instead, they, they cower back in, in pride, they cower back in arrogance. Jesus, it says, looked around at them angrily. And he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. It's so, so important right here that, that we don't isolate just one of these emotions. No doubt about it, as it says here, Jesus was angry. He was furious. He, he, he was angry at how they had long placed these made-up religious laws ahead of people. He, he, he was angry that rules had become more important than the very people he had been sent to die for. But we can't skip the second part of that. J Jesus was also deeply saddened. He, he was saddened by how stubborn and hard they had become saddened that, that a lifetime of religious activities had actually widened the gap between God and them. Some of you who are watching right now, your heavenly father is so saddened that religion has replaced what was meant for relationship in your life. 
that, that the message of Jesus, that Christianity has become so warped and so twisted by human beings that you're actually farther from God than when you started this journey. It says, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man, he, he held out his hand and it was restored. It was restored. Did, did the judgment and pressure from these religious people hold Jesus back? Did, did, did it keep him from restoring? Not a chance. Jesus healed. He restored. He, he did what he always does. He, he did precisely what he wants to do with every single one of you who are watching right now. He, he would not allow a religious rule to be placed ahead of a person. A, a person that he came down to earth to die for. So that's Jesus' response. But let's contrast that, that, that response of compassion and kindness with these religious leaders' response. It says, at once, the Pharisees, the religious elite, they went away. After witnessing an incredible miracle, and they met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Literally in response to a person's life being completely changed, they began to plot how to kill Jesus. And again, I I read this, and that response, it, it almost seems unfathomable. Until... Until we take a deep look inside of ourselves and we come to grips with just how stubborn we can all be. That that, that even in the midst of overwhelming facts, and I'm not saying maybe this is not true for you, I'll I'll throw myself under the butts, but but even in the midst of overwhelming facts, even in the midst of truth just staring at me right in the face, I still sometimes decide to head my own way, the hardened way. I started out by asking this question, have, have you ever felt like a religious rule was placed on a higher pedestal than you? I, I think it really should comfort you to know, and, and by the way, this story here that we're unpacking it is not some isolated incident. J- Jesus was constantly calling out the religious elite for this stuff. I I, I think it should comfort you to know that that Jesus was so against rules over people. I I, I think it it should comfort you that Jesus loathed religion. That, That the only people that he got mad at, that he popped off on during his time on earth were religious people. He he had nothing but love and compassion for prostitutes and thieves and tax collectors and sinners. I think think it should make us fall in love with Jesus that he never has and he never will place a rule ahead of a person. That he will never place a rule ahead of you. See, with Jesus, you always, you always, You who are watching right now, you always take precedence. Not a rule, not a command, not a list of follow these, not do this and these exact steps and maybe. You, people, people that God loves so much that he sent his one and his only son to die for. You always take precedence. If you have ever thought 
of Christianity as, as judgmental, as arrogant, as self-righteous. I, I'm telling you that that is not Jesus. That, that is religion creeping its way in. That, those are man-made rules creeping their way in. And Jesus is anti-religion because he so desperately wants a relationship with you. And religion and relationship are incompatible. I want to challenge all of you who are watching right now. I want to invite you, please don't respond like the religious leaders had responded to Jesus. But please don't walk away from this service with a hardened heart. But please don't walk away from what is happening in our world right now with a hardened heart towards God. I want to close out this, this message, our time together here this morning with what I think are actually some of the most comforting words that Jesus offers us. And they're particularly comforting in a, in a time where there's so much chaos, where there's so much unknown in our world. We find these words for us in the book of Matthew. It's another one of those books that documents the life of Jesus. And here Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary, all of you who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come on, there there are so many of you watching right now who, who that describes you so well. You're weary, you're tired. You're carrying heavy burdens because of what is happening in our world. So so many of you, you've been carrying this heavy burden because of the religious environment that you have grown up in, trying to constantly keep these rules that are impossible to keep. And Jesus is saying, let go of it. I so desperately want to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am, Jesus says, humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Tell me that doesn't sound good. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. This time of chaos that's happening in our world right now. Jesus so desperately wants to give you rest. He's sitting there. He's waiting for you. Flee from all things religion. And run to that healing, run to that rest, run to that peace, run to that relationship with Jesus. A very simple way that you can live this out, that you can practice this, in particular during this time of isolation, during this time of unknown, is that every day you you would just start your day with a very simple prayer based off these words right here in Matthew chapter 11. That it could literally be as simple as God I am trusting, I am believing that you are real. Please, God, I am weary. I have been carrying heavy burdens and I am asking for the rest that you promise because I know that your yoke is easy to bear and I know that your burden is light. Give me that type of life. Give me that type of day today. That that every single day, rather than jumping to your phone, rather than just allowing the chaos of what's happening to consume you, you just start your day in Matthew chapter 11 and you say a very simple prayer. Saying, God, take these burdens. Take take all these things that that are causing me to be stressed and anxiety-filled right now. 
because I know that, again, your yoke is easy to bear and the burden that you want to give us is so light. And then trust that he will come through. Because remember, with Jesus, you, the human, the person that he died for, always takes precedence.